Howard Stern talked about it on his satellite radio show. Horror maestro Mike Flanagan tweeted about it. And the real kicker to let you know you have a hit. Stephen King tweets about your movie. When the King tweets about your film, that means you have made it. I don't know if you guys have been living under a rock for the last month and a half, but one of the coolest experiences at a theater is going on right now. You can still check it out in movie theaters. It's streaming, available for VOD right now, and a Blu-ray coming out next month. That is none other than Terrifier 2. Now, most horror movie fans know about the original Terrifier from a few years back, so there's a built-in audience already. But when it was announced that this movie was going to make a brief, small theatrical run out of the gate in October, I don't think even the filmmakers behind it expected what was going to happen, case in point, this episode. We haven't seen anything like this in a while with films and theaters. Movie with a small release all of a sudden builds up traction. Buzz starts to be created of the movie that you go see as a dare because it makes you go run out to the bathroom because it made you throw up. News had gotten out about the film. From your average spectators who want to just go see a horror movie to the core audience who already knew the villain Art the Clown and what he's capable of going in. Terrifier 2 may be the new thing that we maybe need to see more of in the genre again. We've had a great era of horror films that are taken very seriously, that have serious messages and meanings in them. There's a lot of horror out there that comes out like an art house film, and there's nothing wrong with that. But maybe it's time for a good old-fashioned slash fest with an absolutely batshit crazy villain. Haven't had that in a while, so I had to track down none other than Steve Barton, one of the film's executive producers who has been working in the genre passionately for many, many years, as he is also one of the main creators behind DreadCentral.com. And if you get anything out of this episode, it better be from the last five to ten minutes. Steve has a great story, and I was just going to ask him about what his favorite horror movie was to end the show, which I'm sure he said plenty of times. I knew it was a generic question, but he gave me probably one of the most inspirational answers to a question ever on this show. So, with all that being said... Welcome to the basement. Steve Barton, welcome to Tyler Geis's basement. Thank you for coming. Thank you for letting me in your basement, man. Uh, a lot of people after Terrifier wouldn't be so keen on letting people like us into their basements. But. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, well, uh, a film like Terrifier 1 and 2 uh, is a perfect uh, basement movie. Uh, that's, yeah. not even a, that's not even a thing on this show, but I guess I just created it right now. I, I can't argue with you. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, it is probably, I mean, obviously you, you're, the, you're an executive producer on the film. And uh, so you've been in the trenches for a while now with it. But these last, gosh, month and a half, two months have probably been a lot of fun for you. You know, I, it, it, first of all, yes, it's been an absolute thrill every step of the way. It's been one of the most humbling and craziest experiences in my life. I was sitting on my couch last night with uh my my girl Danielle and I I looked at her and I said 
what day is it? You know, because I, I, I literally lost, you just, like, everything has just blended together over the last several weeks. And I'm not complaining. It's been the best ride ever. But um, in a lot of ways, it, it's like being caught in the world's coolest tornado. Yeah. And you're just you're just holding on for dear life at every moment you get a chance to. So it's been it's been crazy, but it's been such a gift too. I feel like every few years we get a film like this that comes along that already has like a built-in cult following. So when it hits something hits the theaters, it's just like people are ready to go, ready to get you know, their butts in the seats and be knocked flat. And then there's the people that uh, go just thinking it's going to be your average slasher movie. And those are the ones that are probably puking in the lobby. Sorry about that. Uh, well, listen, we didn't want anyone ever to get hurt or get sick. And, you know, um, fuck, dude, we found out about that the same time everyone else did. You know, I, I wish I could say that uh, this was some great marketing ploy. The truth of the matter is, um, one, we've had zero marketing budget. I mean, not a cent for marketing at all. And number two, we honestly weren't even smart enough to think of that. You know, it, it's just something that that just started happening. And when it started happening, we were just as taken aback as everyone else. And, you know, for a little while, we were like, oh, that's got to be bullshit, you know. And but it wasn't. And people started sending pictures of vomit to us and i'm like wow this is nice and uh you know there's that one famous picture of that person with the emts working on them in the movie theater under the poster i haven't even seen that one it's <laughs> just craziness man and you know what you're 100 percent right the movie had a built-in cult following and we only made this movie for that that fan base you know when um the original terrifier came out it was one of those things where I don't want to say it was dumped, but it it, it came out unceremoniously, shall mm. we say? Yeah. But the company that did put it out did right, which was actually my company at the time, or at least I was a part of that company at the time, was uh, they got us on Netflix and that enabled fans to actually find us. And so all of a sudden, you know, this movie comes out and... First of all, the distributors hated it. They just fucking hated it, you know? And I was going through a lot of static with them. And at one point, you know, I got up in one of them, one of their fucking endless meetings. And I said, listen, if this movie doesn't perform the way that I think it's going to, you can have my part of the company. I will walk away. And that was after 18 years of doing it. And I just believed in this movie that much. And uh, I think in a way they kind of put it out just because it was an easy out to get rid of me. Because if it failed, I already said I would leave. Right. And uh, all of a sudden it, it started taking off and there were murals of Art the Clown all over yeah. the world. And people were making their own T-shirts. I was at a convention in Texas like two months after it came out. And I see like Art the Clown t-shirts and Art the Clown this and that. And I'm like, and I called Damien. I'm like, dude, do we have merch? He's like, merch? Somebody owes me money. Right? <laughs> it's true. And he's like, of course we don't have merch. And I'm like, well, then I think we really got something here, man. Because uh, 
people are making their own shit. And then I ended up quitting. Sorry, my allergies are all over. Yeah, no, you're good. I ended up quitting that job, uh, that job, my company, I should say, after 18 years. And to me, Terrifier was a great note to go out on. You know, mm -hmm. I went out on my terms. It was a gift to be able to bring people a new character that they cared about and they became invested in. And so when it came time to make part two, you know, everybody gave us such a gift with the way they supported the first one that in our eyes, we had to give you guys back something that was at least as special as what you gave us. And that's all we tried to do, you know? And then uh, the movie, we, we bust our crowdfunding goal in like less than three hours, which was insane. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I, what I, what I want to go back to the first one real quick. Uh, I remember I, the first time I saw art, the clown was like on some random horror fans, like Instagram page. Right. And it was, and this page probably got flagged by, by the internet because I think the, the, the page was like showing like crazy kills and gore um, in horror movies. And so like, it actually, I can't remember the name of the page. Like I said, it's probably long gone now, but there was like some stuff on there. I hadn't seen since I was like a kid, like the, the alien abduction scene in um, uh, fire in the sky and stuff like that. Right. <laughs> like there, I was like, Oh, I remember that. And the scene, obviously, from the bisection. Yes, yes. That's yeah. the easiest. That is the most polite way to put it. <laughs> the bisection. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that—that's like where I got turned on to Art the Clown. And I was like, "Who is this?" Because clowns, you know, scare the shit out of me. Like, I'm one of the millions of Americans that are just I get uncomfortable around. Uh, just the sight of clowns at a certain. And I, I am truly sorry. Um, <laughs> didn't mean to fuck you up like that. It, uh, well, it the, the thing is, though, is I actually I'm, I don't want to say like I'm not scared of Art the Clown, but like he is kind of that villainous, that villain in a slasher film that you kind of warm up to, and like you get a bit of a kick out of him in a weird way, oddly enough with how he kills his victims. Um, and the, you know, the scene in the first one of the girl getting like you know, cut down the middle uh, that that's when I remember going, okay, what the hell is this movie? And I got to track it down. And it, I think it must've been like a year later is when it finally popped up on Netflix. And I was like, this is going to be something if they keep this going, this is going to be something big. And I haven't checked the analytics, but it's done pretty well at the box office for having zero dollars in marketing, I must say. Yeah, I mean, listen, we were supposed... It's funny, too, when when we made the deal with Cinedyne, Bloody Disgusting, and Screenbox, uh, it, it was kind of amusing. You know, like, they were like, okay, we want to put this in theaters. And most filmmakers would, would react to that with, like, joy, and our reaction was a pure confusion. It was like, really? This movie you want to put into theaters? Have, have you watched this movie? You know? And uh, they were like, yeah. And so we were supposed to get October 4th, 5th, 6th, and 7th, and then boom, direct-to-video. Yeah. And we were fine with that. 
you know, like, hey, it's, it's a bigger release than the first one got, certainly. And uh, then something ridiculous happened. Something absolutely wonderful. People started showing up. Yeah. And, you know, we didn't know what was going to go on. You know, we only made the movie for the fans, you know. And uh, that Monday when we found out that we made $1.2 million, uh, we were all just taken aback. I mean, we, I cried, you know, Art, David, we, he cried. It was just such a release of emotion. Like, holy shit, we actually did something. And then they held us into theaters for a second week. And only the caveat this time was AMC wasn't on board. So we were at 300 less theaters the following weekend. And then we ended up making more money that particular weekend at 300 less theaters. And that really just blew our fucking minds, you know? And then, I mean, we didn't know any, we didn't really find out we were getting held over until the Monday of each week, you know? And then people started talking about it. It was in the newspapers. It was Stephen King. It was oh, yeah. Finnegan, the Tampa Bay Bucks. <laughs> I mean, not the Tampa Bay Bucks, the, the Buffalo Bills. Yeah. I, I mean, Howard Stern, it, it started taking on this, this crazy life of its own. And at that point, all we could do was watch, you know, and very much throughout this whole process, all we could do was just sit back and watch because there's nothing for us to do at that point other than take this ride. And we're very much of the mindset that it's the fans that have allowed us mm -hmm. to take this ride. So you guys aren't just on on the ride with us you're in the motherfucking car you know <laughs> uh the terrifier filmmakers and the terrifier the crew we're all very very interactive with the fan base mm -hmm. we'll talk to you guys we'll we try to answer every message we can and it's because you guys mean a lot to us because without you we don't exist you know and uh it's been such a great experience getting to know fans, get, having the fans get to know us, to be able to share things like that in, in a way that uh, kind of is unprecedented. And at the end of the day, here we are, what, five, six weeks later? I, I think we're still in a couple of theaters, which is mind-blowing. Yeah. you. Uh, it's funny you mentioned AMC didn't jump on board initially. and I, it's, Well, they did the first week. They yeah. did the second week. I uh, I saw that when I was emailing you. I said, um, I'm seeing it for the third time tonight at, at uh, Disney because I'm down in Orlando right now. <laughs> and uh, like, oddly enough, I'm going to see like one of the most gorious, crazy, batshit movies of the year at the biggest uh, place for families to get together. <laughs> and I mean, but it was um, Disney, Disney Springs, the whole, you know, like big mall area they have there. And I go in there and this isn't really a question. I just thought I'd give you a story to flatter you a little bit. Sure. Um, it's like, I, I, it's me and a friend and like, you know, but then you see like two people on a date come in and they, they don't look like your stereotypical horror fans. I mean, then again, sometimes I don't really, but um, uh, they look like Abercrombie and Fitch models. And, <laughs> and they're like in the row below me. 
and I can kind of see him out of the corner of my eye. And the kill scene in the movie, which is like the kill scene in the bedroom at the girl's it's house. Fans have just adopted, they've just adopted calling it the scene. Yeah. Uh, which is my, fun to us because it is it's hilarious. My whole time I'm sitting there, I'm looking at the screen. I, I already know what, like what's coming, what, what the detail of the kill is. And I'm just like looking out of the corner of my eye. And well, you got some, one of them to get up and leave. They couldn't take it. <laughs> they um they came right back in like 10 minutes later. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. What do you like, you know, like what do you think of you know, I know obviously like horror fans are probably like some of the nicest people in the world, but like how how is it like in like pre-production you guys are plotting like kill like killing a person on screen in such a crazy crazy way like well believe it or not um that kill was actually based on a real life murder interesting Uh, well yeah damien was going through a book of jack the ripper and they had some of the some of jack's crime scene photos in there and there is this one where this poor poor woman you could barely even recognize her as human and he was like well what if we try to recreate and reverse engineer that kill you know so ponder that this is based on something that actually happened you know which is way more frightening than we could ever create you know and um i'll tell you a funny story maybe to lighten the load because i just got kind of heavy uh PC Hartnett, who played Allie in the scene. Yeah. Um, she was covered with so much fake blood. I mean, we're talking a ridiculous amount to the point where she actually ended up stuck to the floor and had to wow. be removed from the floor. That that's how much she was just soaked in it. And you know, Damien has this thing, like every every terrifier movie thus far, there's been one actor who has every right to complain, but doesn't, you know. <laughs> yeah. The first one it was Catherine Corcoran who did the bisection. Mm-hmm. And the second one it's Case excuse me, Casey. And uh Damien said one day he's gonna make them each a trophy, the every right to complain trophy. And uh you know, it, it's funny when we were I mean, the vibe on set, I mean, throughout the whole process was nobody's ever going to see this shit go as far as you want. Yeah. yeah. This is ever going to play in a theater, you know? Yeah. And uh, lo and behold, it, it actually did. And even more confusing to us is the reception it got, because this is a very, it's a mean movie, you know? It really is. But I, I think what, what sets our movie apart from similarly similar films of its ilk, like say the Hostel series or the Saw series or even Green Inferno, which a lot of people have likened it to. I, I think what makes it different is in those movies, the kills are really serious, you know? Yeah. And in the Terrifier films, art's just having so much fun. There's a cartoon quality to it, I felt. Every, every kill goes 70 steps too far. Yeah. And it becomes so ridiculous that it becomes absurd. And you just start laughing at it. Yeah. Because it it, it really does go 
that Looney Tunes times 50 route, you know? And I, and I think that's what people are getting a kick out of. And they're as much as they're screaming and cheering and cursing and puking and fainting in some cases, um, they're having fun. And yeah. I, I think that's the best part about this movie and fans reaction to it. Cause I saw it with about four different crowds. I mean, we all have, we've all bought tickets for certain shows without telling anybody we're going to be there just to experience it with a crowd. And people literally are just cheering and laughing and shouting and screaming. And, and it, it's amazing to us because they're just having so much fun. And I think I attribute that in part at least to and i'm not i don't want to make it sound like we're capitalizing on it by any stretch of the imagination but collectively as a society as a world we've been through some of the shittiest few years imaginable yes agreed just filled with so much tragedy and so much needless sadness and i think people just needed an excuse to just have an experience that was no, no fucks given whatsoever mm. and let them just have a good time and take a ride and beyond that just blow off steam and you know it's all about finally just letting go and to think that our movie could be an outlet like that for some people is a tremendous gift for us you know and i even there was a point i even called damien like two or three weeks in and i said dude I need to ask you a very serious question. And he's like, what? I'm like, people are, are getting such a tremendous amount of joy from this movie. Did we do this right? You know, did we make a horror movie? Did did we did we not do our jobs? And I mean, and of course we did, but it's just, it's it's just nothing about this ride has made any sense. I mean, from it being kind of universally embraced to Walmart of all places getting an exclusive on the mm -hmm. steelbook, you know, but the same place that puts, you know, warnings about bands on CDs and shit, you know, who've been notorious about changing the names of movies just to make them more family friendly. They're like, Oh yeah, we got to have terrifier too. <laughs> what do you really, you know, you know, there's no reason at least to us, why we're in the same conversations as like Halloween ends and smile. And yeah. Fucking black Adam, for God's sake. <laughs> we, we shouldn't have been in the theaters with those, but not only were we, we were competing and we were, we were always in the top 10 and that's because of the fans. And we, we cannot tell you how grateful we are about that and for that it's, it's a, to say that we're thankful is like an understatement it does it doesn't have the weight to really illustrate how we feel yeah no you bring up a valid point with the past couple years and whatnot with it just being not that great of a time right now um but what i'm getting at here is do you think this film uh, hit with audiences so well, even audiences outside of like genre fans and whatnot, because there's kind of such a release of seeing something absolutely 
batshit crazy on the screen while also being able to maybe find humor in it? Do you think that's just like giving audiences that pent up whatever inside of them and they can release it? I, I think that's part of it. And I, I think another part of it is, listen, when we're, when we're younger, even to a certain extent now at our age, you always want to taste that forbidden fruit. Of course. And this movie, it kind of took things back to the early 80s, the late 70s, where there were these disreputable horror films and disreputable films where you would only hear about when you're hanging out with your friends in a schoolyard or a playground or something like that. And everybody's, oh, did you see this movie where this one did that or when this happened? So it's like there's a danger aspect to it that we didn't see coming. You know, this is the first movie since I think it was The Exorcist that people have said that, oh, they were throwing up and they were sick and they were feeling faint because of what they were seeing. I mean, it kind of happened with Blair Witch, but for vastly different reasons. That was more like the filming technique that was making people nauseated. But this was this was eliciting an actual feeling in people. So I, I think once that started getting around, it very much became like a dare movie. Can you see yeah. it? Can you make it through the whole movie? And I... You know, there are some people like, oh, that wasn't scary at all. I mean, scary is subjective. It, you, you could look at, at Terrifier, Terrifier 2 and find nothing about it scary. But I also know people that, that see those movies and are absolutely terrified by it because they have chlorophobia, you know, or, or something like that. So I, I think it's a combination of of that release and that forbidden fruit. It's lightning in a bottle. You know, it it probably, I mean, we're treating it as a once in a lifetime thing. You know, we're very thankful for it. It's been insane. I mean, who knows? We could conceivably do Terrifier 3 and nobody shows up. I, I don't think, I don't think that'll happen. I think it's a pretty good bet that people will pretty much show up. But you just, it's completely unpredictable. And I think what a lot of filmmakers do is they, they kind of get lost on the way to filmmaking. Um, you'll never hear us call Art the Clown an icon. You'll never hear us say, this is a cult movie. Mm. This is a cult classic. Those words will never come out of our mouths, at least not yet. You know, this is only the second film or third film that he's been featured in. And it's not up to us to say we have the next cult icon the next horror icon you can't do that that's only up to the fans to bestow that honor so even going into a part three if it does happen we're very much going to go into it the same way we always did you know with a reverence for the genre and a confidence to make what to do what we know how to do you know and we do there is an alchemy to these movies there is a formula and it all stems from Damien, who's a genius, from Phil Falcone and Lisa Falcone, who, if it wasn't for those two people, these movies don't exist at all, you mm -hmm. know? And then you have Mike Levy, you have George Stuber, our cinematographer, you have Jason Levy. I mean, only, if you could believe this, only nine people made that movie. 
out of aside from the cast and, and you know bits of crew that you have to have on there were only nine people there every day working on that movie and that's just like a handful of people you know and it's so tiny and it, it's so weird that people look at that and they're like oh well this is such an accomplishment it's just the blood the sweat and the tears of nine people who wanted yeah. to make a whole movie and that's the way we're approaching everything you know we're not going to approach it from a a place of oh well, look what we did we're just going to approach it to uh, approach it from a place of we have to try and make the best movie we can and that's i think the formula do you think now you mentioned having a nine person crew and i've noticed really since covid a lot of films kind of like have gotten they feel a little smaller feel a little or feel a little more intimate like there are movies being made on smaller crews now and whatnot. Do you think that that might be the direction to go in the future with making films and still being able to get this kind of success? I, I think that, I mean, I can only speak from our experience, you know, I, I think that there is a place for movies with huge crews. I, I think that terrifier as a whole if you try making it on a grand scale, you're going to lose part of what made it special mm -hmm. is the intimacy. Uh, it, it would be great to have more money to make these movies, but I, I, I think for the formula to work, it has to be the same nine people. Leave us alone. <laughs> do what we know we know how to do. And then come back to us in a year and we'll have your movie for you. you know what I mean? <laughs> But uh, yeah, I, I think I, I think in most cases you need the crew that you need. And in this case, we just need each other. Because yeah. everybody brings their A game and we we all are crazy in love with each other. We respect each other. And more than that, we trust each other. Mm -hmm. So there's a there's a true camaraderie on the terrifier sets. And I think you can really sense that on screen too. Like you, you can always sometimes sense when like there's fighting going on behind the scenes with a movie. Like there's movies out there where you just, I mean, the big one was, is lately is don't worry, darling, but that's a, that's for another podcast episode. Um, we've been talking a lot the past 25, 30 minutes, and I know I'm on a limited amount of time with you. Um, just about the fans and the fan base. And really it was the fans that did this for the film. 100%. You, and judging by what is in the background, where you are, like, and like, just from what I know about you, I follow you on social media and whatnot. Um, you're a lifelong horror fan, it seems. And obviously everything you've done with your career, you have taken, most people just like are on the outside looking in and they get a little bit of luck. You have pretty much taken what it feels like your passion and made a career out of it. Uh, you are indeed a lifelong horror fan. I hope what I'm saying is 100% correct by now. Couldn't be more true. Um, like, kind of a generic question, but just a way to kind of wrap things up. Um, what was it? What What was the movie? What was What was the What was the movie that kind of got you into the genre? Or even if it wasn't a movie, a Stephen oh, King the movie. All right. Um, it, it's it's actually a very funny story. Sorry, I, I've told it a hundred times. So sorry for anyone who's have to list, has to listen to it again. But um, <laughs> when I was three years old, I grew up in the 70s. I'm 50 now, which means I'm old as fuck. Uh, I'll get there one day. 
We all do, man. There's no, there's no stopping that. But um, when I was growing up, we had this giant black and white console TV in our living room. And it was the kind of TV that if it ever broke, fuck it, it's furniture now. Just put another TV on top of it because the thing weighed 7 billion pounds, right? No one wanted to move it out of the house. And uh, one night, I mean, I was always a night person. And once I heard my parents start snoring, I knew it was time to run into the living room because that's when all the shit was on TV. So one night I ran into the living room and I put on the TV and I saw this newscast about the dead coming back to life and we have to get to rescue stations. And I thought that shit was real, you know? And so I, I ran out of the living room. It's like two o'clock in the morning and I, I woke up my mom and I told her the dead are coming. We got to go. We got to get to rescues. I, I literally at three years old remember saying those things and she told me I was having a nightmare. And I'm like, no, it's not a nightmare. And I grabbed her arm and I started pulling her out of bed. And she took my dad with her, who was super pissed. And uh, I brought him into the living room and I pointed to the TV and I was like, look. And of course, what it was, was Night of the Living Dead. Mm. And uh, fuck, I got my first ass whipping that night. First time I ever felt pain in my life. Wow. And I was laying in bed, my ass was throbbing. And I said to myself, wow, I was completely scared out of my mind, yet 100% safe. How fucking cool is that? You know? And it was that feeling that set me on my journey. And, you know, 20, 25 years later, I got to tell that story to George Romero. And we became yeah. friends. Wow. And George became my mentor along with Sid Haig, you know, and those two gentlemen, I'm not sitting here without them. You know, they told me, I mean, how fucking blessed am I to have people of those stature, of that type of stature, mm -hmm. guiding me and there for me to ask questions to, you know, that's like having fucking Bigfoot deem you cool enough to know he exists, right? Yeah. So... I, I listened and I learned and I applied and, you know, I've been doing this one way or another for 27 years. Uh, when I did Dread Central, Dread Central was mine for 18 years. I mm -hmm. found a company, I created it and I didn't make a dime from it until like year eight, you know, uh, when I was doing Dread Central, I, I, I felt it was more important to pay my staff because they were creating content with me. And so while I would get up at like four in the morning and work until 8 a.m. on the website, and then I would go work at a fucking GameStop for fucking several hours. And then I would come home and I would work more on the site. And it was like that for seriously eight years straight. And uh, then we finally started making money. And that was like Christmas all of a sudden. Yeah take a salary but I, you know i've never i never stuck a landing man I, i've come close a hundred thousand times and um each time i fell short and that's okay uh it cost me a lot it cost me most recently a 20 year long relationship you know because when you do this 
And, and she was right. You know, she, she, her whole thing was, what's your plan B? What's your plan B? You know, how, how much longer are we supposed to try and wait for this to be successful for you to be successful? And I don't have a plan B. And if you're doing this, you know, there is no plan B. You're either all in or you're not, and you shouldn't be doing it. So it cost me my relationship, my integrity, my refusal to not become a yes man cost me my company. And I found myself on my ass, flat on my ass, several times over the last 27 years, always back at square one. But one of the most important things that George taught me, specifically George, was um, he would say to me, Steve, man, when you're happy and everything's going great, it's easy. You know, everything's easy. True. He's, but he said, when things aren't going great and you're flat on your ass and all you could do is sit up, look around you and go, how the fuck am I going to crawl out of this mess? It's those times that are really living, you know, where you're you're living. This is your life. And it's those times that the decisions you make when things are so bad, they're going to they're going to help shape your character and they're going to help you define who you're going to be, you know? And he taught me to embrace those times and to not be afraid of them because that's, that's the exciting time of life. And you could either sit there and, and you could be, woe is me. And you could ride that for whatever it's worth, or you could dust yourself off and keep fucking going. And for 27 years, I, I've always kept going. I mean, from writing fanzines to creating one of the biggest horror websites on the internet that is still going. Apparently, I haven't been there in four years, so I have no fucking idea what Dread Central is doing. But, um, you know, to finally, finally climb a mountain and not fall off the other side has been the greatest, greatest moment I could ever have hoped for. And it's only here out of a lot of humility and a lot of hard work, a lot of drive and a, and a tendency to not say no and be a bad loser and want to win and want to succeed and, and believe in not only myself, but the people around me, because you can't do it yourself. Success is dependent on your circle and who's around you to actually help you and who you surround yourself with that actually give a fuck about you and you give a fuck about them. And it's tough, but I got to tell you, man, after, after just falling off the fucking edge and being told no and fucking up and getting thrown backward and running against the wind my entire life, finally making it to a, a spot or a point in time where I didn't fall off the edge, where I am holding my, my balance and I am sticking that landing has made every little bit of pain and heartache and torture. Cause it was at times torture. It's made it so worth it. And I'm, I'm so happy. I found some way to keep sticking around and it's just been 
amazing. And a big part of that, again, is because of the people who's, who have always supported me. And that goes from my best friend to the fans who stood by me during Dread Central, during Never Sleep Again, during all these things I've been involved with. And uh, all I could say is thank you. And I'll continue to try and not let you down. Wow. Steve, that did stick the landing on this episode. But no, thank you so much for sharing that. That was an awesome, uh, awesome way to close out the, uh, the, the episode here. Yeah, so uh, I don't even know how I can top that with an outro. Holy shit. Uh, as for all of you out there, go see Terrifier 2. Or it's also streaming on a Screambox, I believe um, now. It's streaming on Screambox. It's available for 4K purchase on Amazon, Vudu, and all the other outlets. And it hits Blu-ray and Blu-ray 4K on December 27th. All right. Cool, man. Um, Steve, where can we find you real quick if we want to give you a follow? Uh, if if Twitter doesn't completely explode, <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm on there as at Uncle Creepy. On Facebook, I feel dirty. I feel really dirty about, about this. I'm at my friend's limit, so I had to open a fan page, and it makes me feel dirty every time I talk about it. <laughs> so I'm on Facebook as it's facebook.com uncle creepy or the fan page is steve uncle creepy barton and i'm on instagram at uncle creepy sb all right cool man give him a follow give him a follow steve thank you for a great show by the way appreciate you you guys know the routine leave a rating leave a review so the basement doesn't go into the abyss of everybody who has a damn podcast see you next week